Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline from ESPN.com, Stephen Holder joins us. All right, I want to double back, if you will. Had you ever seen a situation, a flag thrown on the abusive language? I'm sure you've seen that before in the NFL. But in a situation as escalated as that at the end of a game, because I don't think I have, and that was a huge reason why the Colts ended up winning that game. Do you think that that flag in that situation should have been thrown? Well, it's, it's kind of impossible to answer without knowing what was said, but I will say this. I think that it was definitely uh, shocking that it, it was yeah. thrown. I don't think that's a typical kind of penalty in that situation. So I can only have one takeaway from it, giving the officials the benefit of the doubt here, I guess. Uh, it must have been extremely egregious, like you know, yeah. something we definitely can't say <laughs> on these airwaves. It had to be uh, because I, I understand it was a point of emphasis uh, in, in recent years. And it has been a, a point of emphasis that that's uh, sportsmanship emphasis that they have made. Uh, but, I, you know, there were some there were like some some sort of key words that they were looking for. And they were I, I'm not speculating on what he said because I have no idea. But they were of the, a, a nature of like things that were like slurs and things of that nature, because, I mean, the language you hear on on football field between the lines on every play, it probably ain't going to be enough to do it right in that situation. So I'm going to assume a little bit of the worst here about, uh, about what was said. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com is on the Andy Moore automotive group hotline. You know, people bring up good fortune and the Colts had a great deal of that. You know, from the open roof uh, to uh, the punt returners, including Naheem Hines, but especially Sky Moore, uh, having trouble seeing the football after it's it's been kicked to catch it. Get that. You had that penalty flag thrown. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was thrown off his mark a great deal yesterday, I felt, but give credit to the Colts' defense on that. When you look at that good fortune, however, especially defensively, how much of that was what you saw from the Colts D and how much of that was some inaccuracy, some ineffectiveness, and maybe for the first time, Stephen, this season, missing Tyreek Hill on that Chiefs offense? Uh, I think certainly the, the Chiefs are going through a, a transition. There's no doubt about that. But I, I think it's true for every team this time of year. Uh, the, the Colts themselves right, are still in, in transition. We're seeing it uh, from week to week with Matt Ryan being – a new quarterback with this offensive line, having new pieces and just woefully underperforming. Right. So all of that, I think a lot of the, the team's issues, in fact, a lot of issues you're seeing with every team right now, a lot of them can trace back to things that are in transition and, and acclimating to new situations. Um, I think there was a, I posted this on Twitter this morning. I think it bears repeating here because it really drives home what we're talking about right now in the NFL, just the level of parity and the level of competition. There have been 18 games. And if people miss this, it's on my Twitter scroll back to this morning. There have been 18 games already in three weeks decided by three points or fewer. That is the most in NFL history through three weeks. That's incredible. The other thing I would say is that there's only one and three team right now. That's the Raiders. Josh McDaniels, I'll leave it at that. Uh, anyway, 
that's the fewest 0 and 3 teams since 1959. That's just insane. So I, what I'm saying is, this is the league right now. Just hold on to your butts and survive. And and to do that, sometimes you do need some luck. Sometimes you do need some good fortune. And then you can also you can create your own luck, which I think the Colts kind of did uh, to a great extent with their defensive play. We were both in the press box yesterday, and I had not been in the press box, obviously, in those first two road games. So I got to see. And while he orchestrated the game-winning drive, and you know, that was much smoother than basically you know, any of the prior two games and a half for Matt Ryan, you can certainly see um, him missing receivers, overthrowing receivers, not throwing it. Um, I, I kind of call it you know, disheveled level of play because of the offensive line. All right, how much of that is on just how bad the offensive line is? How much of it would you put on the fact that he is a 37-year-old quarterback? So those two things are are kind of inextricable, <laughs> okay? And what I mean by that is there's a link between them. So he is 37 years old. He doesn't move very well. And I can tell you that as a 45-year-old who, you know, can barely make it to the gym every morning. So that's a that's a fact right and that is why that is why he needs very stable offensive line play i'm not saying he needs it to be like 2018 or 19 elite the way it was here right but he needs it to be at least stable because right now there's no doubt about it like matt ryan does not trust his offensive line and nor should he why would he he shouldn't trust them. They haven't earned that from him. And especially for a guy who is right now learning to play with those guys. I mean, they're still in the very early stages of this relationship, right? And and yet, um, you know, you would hope by this point they would have made bigger gains in being able to develop that trust. He doesn't have that trust. And so when Matt Ryan doesn't have the, the trust in his protection, he's not the same player. And that is what they're dealing with right now. Uh, I think that's true for every quarterback. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we can go back to Carson Wentz. And I remember when he was first traded to Indy, I went back and watched his tape from, from Philadelphia. And the one thing I came away with was like, okay, if they can protect him, he can actually make some plays. He, He actually played decent when he was well protected. And then when the protection broke down, oh my God, it was just an absolute disaster. And I think we saw that last year, right? He just did not respond well to pressure. So what I'm saying is you're getting basically the worst of Matt Ryan in those situations right now uh, because it, it just is, it's just not a good situation for him. Now, I'll say this. Uh, he, he is making some plays in those situations when it matters. I think if you look at the final drive yesterday, I mean, he really did pull it together. And that is the one thing that I can say that is a, a huge redeeming quality is that while he has, you know, sort of peed down his leg a couple of times here, right? There's no question about it. He has an ability to pull himself together and go get it. And he's done it twice now, okay? The kicker let him down in Houston. But he did it in the fourth quarter in overtime. He did exactly what was expected of him and what was asked of him. And he did it again yesterday. So that's the kind of clutch quarterback skills that we did not see last year. They just got to pull the rest of it together, and maybe this will – you know, be something they can make something out of. Stephen Holder joins us in the Zoom press conference you guys had 
with Frank Reich today, quote, there were more free rushers yesterday than I've seen in a long time. He added that it was discouraging. Can they put a finger on this right now? I mean, I know that, see, Lauren, I know that Dan Olofsky has alluded to it, you know, being, you know, a a coaching situation, I think, on Twitter is what he had mentioned last week. Um, Obviously, uh, it's at a large detriment to this team. They're not going to reach any of the levels of expectation if it doesn't get much, much better than it is. But can they put a finger on what exactly is going on with this group on that line right now? I've gotten a lot of vague answers <laughs> and, and a lot of guys pointing to themselves but not being specific. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've talked to Ryan Kelly about this. I've talked to Matt Ryan about this. I've talked to Frank Reich about this, all of them. And the answer I keep getting is, you know, we just got to keep working. Um, I got to do a better job. And so we're not getting the specifics. But I, I can tell you, I can speculate a little bit and tell you what I see. There's a couple things. I think with, with Ryan Kelly and – and Matt Ryan, clearly, they're not consistently on the same page, right? Now, why is that? That's that's the, the question, and that's that definitely gets into to matters that are far more complicated than I am qualified to discuss. But they are not on the same page. Now, it's not just that though. There's there's more to it. I think there are situations where there has to be trust among those offensive linemen and they either are not communicating or not trusting each other. And that's a, that's a, that's an issue because, you know, when you are, for example, when you're handling um, a particular matchup as an offensive lineman, and then you see a a shift coming, whether it's a stunt or twist, what have you, you know, you've got to trust that what you have talked about in the meeting room is going to occur. And there are clearly instances where that's not happening. And, and I think what happens when, when that trust isn't there and you're worried about someone else not executing their job, well, guess what happens to your matchup? You tend to lose your matchup because you're not, you can't be fully focused on that. So uh, it affects even the players who are doing their jobs. <laughs> and I just think that's what's happening. Um, I don't know if I explained that well, but I just think there's just not enough consistent execution. They have a plan for all of this stuff, and that's what's so disappointing about it. It's not that they're, they're seeing blitzes and pressures that are just brand new. There are no new blitzes for the most part. I mean, come on, right? Like, they've been playing football for, like, 100 years, okay? This stuff ain't new. They just – it's a matter of, you know, seeing it and recognizing it when it comes. You know, Stephen Holder joins us. People have asked me, and I'm sure they've asked you the same, you know, why, you know, why not, for example – uh, put Ryman in, move prior to where he originally played in the NFL as a lineman guard or whatever. And I always come back with this. Hey, listen, I know Pinter got beat up pretty good yesterday, and there's no doubt at this point in their careers, Golwinski is better. Not suggesting that's going to be the case further down the road. Golwinski now gone. Chris Reed's in Minnesota. You have no depth. So really, you can't do anything. And I think part of the, the biggest problem is we're talking about guys like Smith, guys like Kelly that are the largest part of this issue. And you can't come anywhere near of trying to replace these guys right now. You just have to correct it. Yeah, I mean, they, their contracts are what they are. I mean, you don't just cut Braden Smith. He's, <laughs> he's in year two of a $70 million contract. Guess what? They're stuck with each other. And, and I'm not suggesting they should cut him. I'm just saying they have to make it work. And I, I would almost 
I would almost like prefer to hear that, that these guys were hurt, you know, because at least then it would make sense. You know, Ryan Kelly, I, I think there's just been too much variable nature in his play for a little while now too. And this isn't just this year. I think we started seeing this last year. He also, he had that family situation last year. He missed several games. And I think that was a tough year, right? I mean, I, I understand that. Um, they, they got hit with COVID. There's all that going on, right? And so I was willing to give these guys the benefit of the doubt. And, and Braden Smith last year, in his defense, had some injuries he played through as well. Quentin Nelson hurt as well. Same thing, right? That's why I thought the performance of the offensive line last season, I start, it started to crack last season. But I, I gave them the benefit of the doubt because I knew there were, there were circumstances, right? Uh, but those circumstances do not exist right now, to my knowledge. I don't know that any of these guys are hurt. And we're seeing very, very underwhelming performance. In fact, it's declining further. So, I don't know. I agree with you. They do have to kind of make it work. They don't have a ton of options. You mentioned the Ryman option at left tackle. It is an option. I'm actually open to it. But he, he has this ankle injury that he's dealing with. So, he was out this week. So, it wasn't even on the table this week. So, uh, we'll no. see. They have they kind of are where they are right now, unless they stick like Will Fries in there at right guard or something. But uh, last thing I'll say before moving on, Danny Pinter. I liked Danny Pinter a lot in previous years, but ma- the majority of of the time we have watched him has been at center. And yeah. I'm realizing now we just really didn't have enough to go on in terms of evaluating him at guard and, and guard is a very different position for a lot of technical reasons. And I, I just don't think he's the same player. Stephen Holder joins us. Do you think effectively uh, the Chris Jones flag, the final drive, the game winner, the win yesterday, the way that the offensive line played combination, did that save Chris Strasser's job this week? Uh, good question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it, it definitely takes the pressure off. Right. And I think that's, that's all we can really say. I, I don't know that they would have made the move or not. I, I don't know. I, I really, really don't know, but it, it definitely took some of the pressure off and it gave them, it bought them some time. Right. Um, and so that, you know, that's my latest story that I'll post tomorrow morning. That's what it's going to say is that this team basically is buying itself time if they can win ugly and overcome, you know, their own ineptitude sometimes and, and working through their issues because there are issues, right? If they can do that and still win the, the winnable games, they're going to come out of this with an, with an opportunity to make a run at the end of the season. But, but they ha- they can't just, you can limp your way along, but you've got to be able to, to compete while you're doing that. So, so anyway, uh, back to your Chris Strasser question. Look, I mean, they, they bought themselves some time. Let's see if they can get this fixed. I, look, I don't need them to be, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys line of the 1990s, okay? We just need them to be – what they need is just a viable offensive line right now. Jonathan Taylor can do a lot with a little, but he can't do it when he's getting hit in the backfield. Uh, he had one of the worst uh, marks of his career yesterday in terms of time uh, before contact, right, in terms of – uh, how how far he was able to run before encountering contact. He had, right. I believe, the third worst mark of his career yesterday, and that's not on him. That's on the offensive line. 
You know, it's funny about what you just said. You, you said you're not expecting them to be the, the 90s Cowboys offensive line. Unfortunately, that's how they're paid, and that's exactly what that's Chris true. Ballard, I think, expects. You know what I mean? That's, that's yeah, exactly I mean, listen, listen, what Ballard they, expects. They should, they should yeah. be that, right? They should be. But yeah, the other I, thing I is, I just got a massive case of deja vu. When you talked about surviving and beating the beatable teams, my God, have we been we've been at this point so many times. Seriously, I just got I, I was like Danny Pintered by Frank Clark with deja vu by you when you said that. <laughs> well, fair enough, man. You know, look, they, should should they be you know the the Dallas Cowboys line of the nineties? Mm-hmm. You know, they they gotta have themselves a Larry Allen, right? So. <laughs> Maybe yeah, no doubt. That, right. But but I think we have reached a point where I'm willing to lower the bar at this point. And I'm, I'm sure Matt Ryan's willing to lower the bar. All right. Look, he doesn't need perfection, but he needs he needs more than they're giving him. And, and that's the bottom line. I'm, I'm just telling you, I I think there's a scenario where this could be a very good team still. It's, there's still a scenario where this could be a very good team. I know. I know. I know. I know what everybody's going to say. And, you know, you got maybe I'm half glass full right now, but I'm just telling you, they're not that far away from being a very viable team. But the things they're not doing are so critical and so uh, they they just they go right to the actual result and the functionality of the offense that they're hard to overcome. I mean, you you got to block people. I mean, this is nothing more simpler than that. That is football. That is like basic basic pee wee football. You got to block. I, I can't put it any simpler. ESPN.com, Stephen Holder covers the Colts. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Buffalo Wild Wings, Bud Light Blue Monday in Bloomington today. Stuff to give away. Coming up here at 6 o'clock, you know, you you think about the defense yesterday. I thought they did a fantastic job against Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Obviously, he he didn't have a Patrick mahomes S day. We'll give credit to the defense. You know, Travis Kelsey dropped a, a potential touchdown pass, so he had his struggles a little bit, too, at least from from what we know him to be and where he plays at that particular level. I know a lot of people pointed the finger at Stephon Gilmore and that final deflection and then the pick by McLeod to end the game. But I think I was most impressed out of him. That shoestring tackle he made on Kelsey, forget yeah. which quarter this was in. It was a third down play where Kelsey was right there, a little yak to get that first down to extend the drive, and Gilmore got him. I, that probably was one of the more impressive defensive plays I have seen all year by anybody through three weeks on the Colts. I am so glad you brought this up because it's something that got lost in the shuffle yesterday, and I personally forgot to, to circle back to this. It, it, it's really important. I think if you watch uh, Stephon Gilmore, and I have watched him throughout camp and, and watched him very closely these first few weeks, the, the thing that I think is most impressive about him well, one of the things, because obviously he's, he's sticky in coverage, and that's the most impressive thing. But the thing he doesn't get enough credit for, I think, is just what, a, what an efficient tackler he is, okay? Even if a guy catches the ball, he gets him on the ground, and he's going to limit the game after the catch, which I think is so, so critical because, look, I mean, it's a tough league, right? The, the, the receivers have all the advantage. They are going to catch some balls. But this guy just has an ability to limit what they can get even when they do catch the ball. And it's because he's usually in position uh, to make the tackle. Even, even if he gives up the catch, uh, he's not getting you know, his doors blown off out there. And he's going to be able to be in position to make a play. So I agree with you. 
such a critical play because one of the things Kelsey can do, especially it takes on a special importance without Tyreek Hill, is Kelsey can, he gets in the open field and now he takes a 15-yard a play and makes it a 30-yard play. Well, that's how they beat you, right? And they limited those yesterday, and they made them have to earn yeah. every stinking yard. Love yeah, it. I, 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 listen, I, and I agree with you on that. And, and the defense, to me, I mean, they hemmed in Mahomes for most of that game, and then in the secondary, they hung with guys because you can't give up or try to hand them off. You got to hang with them for an extended period of time. That's difficult. Oh, Gilmore, I think, had five solo tackles yeah. yesterday. I, I thought he played really well. And, and on that note, I, I thought one of the things that, that guys in the locker room and Gilmore personally told me this, he said, you know, we, we had a good game plan. And I said, well, tell me about it. And he said, well, you know, we, we ran tight coverage. <laughs> we used tight coverage. And I was like, well, imagine that, <laughs> you know. And it, it was something we did not see enough of in Jacksonville. You know, what if they had made those completions tougher for for Trevor Lawrence, maybe they'd have lost only fourteen nothing, but whatever. Anyway, the point is, you, you got to make guys earn it. You got to make them earn it. And and Gus Bradley, one of the things he's been criticized for over the years is not being flexible enough. So maybe this is a good sign, you know, showing that he can be flexible and adapt and and adjust when needed. And and that is what it's going to take because you know, look, you're not always going to have the advantage, and you're going to have some tough some tough challenges. You've got to adapt when you need to. Well, here's what I thought. I thought up front uh, they played obviously their best game. I thought Buckner uh, was part of that. And I, I don't know. Can you equate their play up front and give some credit to Buckner probably for the first time this year by exactly the type of work that they did at linebacker in particular? I thought Zaire Franklin outside of the two penalties had a really nice day. And that seems like that when, when you have a, an escalation, if you will, in tackle numbers at that position, then what they're doing up front, even against this Kansas City team, must be going pretty well. Yeah, well, one of the things that happened uh, somewhat in week one, but definitely in week two, and everybody saw it, Doug Peterson had a great game plan. And his game plan was, okay, Trevor Lawrence, one read, you get rid of that damn ball. And they ran it to perfection. And what happened is now in that situation, particularly in the middle of the field, the linebackers have to be on it. And the linebackers, they were awful in Jacksonville. Terrible. And yeah. I thought yesterday they were much, much better, much more uh, productive and, and efficient and effective in coverage. Uh, now, as for up front, I think you knew going into this game that Patrick Mahomes would give him more of an opportunity because even though he has had to adapt his, his play this year and play a, a quicker style and get rid of the ball faster, he doesn't have Tyreek anymore. Uh, so they've adapted, but he is who he is, okay? <laughs> he wants the big play, and he's going to hold the ball. And then when you cover well, you know, his first read's not going to be there. And he's fine holding the ball. Well, they forced him to hold the ball. And, and at that point, you either have to make a play or he's going to gut you because he's going to run around for 10 seconds and go Kyler Murray on you, right? So, so they were able to contain him and not let him scramble that much and also not let him uh, extend the plays to make a big play. Even when he did extend plays, uh, the coverage held up. That's a great sign, I'm telling you, because I, I think that's what you worry about when he extends the play. You know, can can the coverage hold up? But but most often, more often than not, uh, the pass rush got to him and he had to get rid of it. They pressured 
uh, Mahomes, I think, on 38 or 39 percent of his dropbacks. That is far higher than than anything the Chiefs have seen this season. He was about 20 percent coming in, so they doubled that rate. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the first time I, I'd watched it in the first two weeks, and it didn't look like they missed Tyreek Hill. Yesterday, you could tell that they absolutely missed Tyreek Hill and his services. Stephen Holder joins us. Matt Amendola, in a move that would have been anticipated by everybody, was released uh, after his effort yesterday as kicker, backup kicker, uh, which was a big deal. I did want to ask you this. We saw Sky Moore, the rookie, have difficulties, muffing the punt, and, I mean, it was like a clown show, him trying to field that second one, too. And, you know, Naheem Hines had to run away from one as well one of the biggest things yesterday especially the way that it occurred with the good fortune for the Colts and not so much for the Chiefs was having the roof open because I think even Naheem Hines talked about it after the game that's a that's a tough to deal with they they struggle with fielding punts when the roof is open at Lucas Oil Stadium don't they they do it's difficult I mean you know I think the you might wonder, okay, well, what's the big deal, right? Because everybody in the league who's playing outdoors is playing, you know, looking up into the sun. The problem is you have this, this dark, these dark shadows, and then you look up and it's like, you know, there's the sun, right? So, yeah. so the contrast really throws you off. I, was, I did hear Naheem talk about that in the locker room. He, he explained it very well. It's, it really is a product of the shadows. And then, boom, here comes, you know, this, this incredible beam of light. He is smart enough because it's his home field. He's smart enough to know to get the heck out of there. If you can't see the ball, then you've got to bail. And he understands that, right? Uh, but that's where home field advantage can really, I think, play a, a huge uh, benefit for you. And and it's it's hard to scout that if you're the opponent because the, the roof is so rarely open. You know, what do you even have to go on, right? So it's not as right. if they have a lot of information. Um, so really tough for, for the opponent there. And, you know, bad for TV optics and bad for opposing punt returners, apparently. Well, <laughs> hey, hey, Stephen, I would say, also suggest this, to your point. You only see this, these type of shadows and this sunlight with a roof open in September. So you're having to That's really true. skew the scout to roof, you know, when the roof is open in the month of September here. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about like a handful of games right. since the stadium's been open. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. Is it even 10? You know what I mean? And ter- with that scenario, right? Uh, daytime, 1 o'clock kickoff, bright sun, you know, with the roof open. How many of those have there been? You know, it, it, there's not that many. So, uh, you know, you think about it. The, all you have to go on is is fielding those punts in pregame. You know, when you're out there warming up, that's really all you have to go on if you're the, if you're the opponent. And, uh, you know, poor Sky Moore. Um, he had a rough day, man. So I, I feel for him, but <laughs> that's just how it works, man. It's, it's like an, it's like a kicker, you know, like Vinatieri kicking outdoors in in New England all those years. You don't think he knew how that wind moved in that stadium and all that, right? So you, you definitely have some advantages being the home team. Yeah, I thought that was a big deal because I kind of wondered. It looked like it may rain, and I know that it was a yeah. low percentage chance. But normally, if there is a cloud. Anywhere between Louisville and South Bend, they don't crank that thing open. Yeah, I mean, the stadium it really doesn't have uh, a drainage system, you know, because it's not meant to, to handle weather. So they're terrified of any kind of precipitation. But, uh, you know, luckily it turned out to be a nice day. 
and uh, it even worked in their favor. So, hey, you know, uh, who knows? Maybe we can get one more of those in before, you know, it turns into, uh, you know, Siberia. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. Big, big know, plays from the Floridian here. I love winter, as you know. As you well know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it. Um, I was I was really surprised it was open yesterday, but as it turned out, it was a incredibly big deal. So I don't yeah. think there's any doubt about that. Um, what did you think about Frank Reich in closing here? Uh, his his two fourth down calls, and is it more about the lack of execution, or did you think that 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 fourth at midfield situation, giving a short field to Patrick Mahomes, was as ill-advised as I thought it was up in the press box at the time? Yeah, I, I thought, was that the one? I'm tr- again, I'm confused now. I think they, yeah, they had it. Was that the play action, I want to say? Um, yeah. I, I would like there to just give it to Taylor. Now, I know hindsight is twenty twenty, and I know he was getting pummeled, but I think, you know, what was that, a half yard, I think? Um, I, I don't know. I just think when you, when you do play action like that and it's a slow developing play, you know, bad things can happen. And, of course, it did. So I didn't love that one. The, the going for it, I don't have a huge problem with. I think if you're going to be, if you're if you're going to beat Kansas City and Mahomes, you do have to kind of go into the game thinking you need to be aggressive. I think that's true. I mean, Brandon Staley said that last week. The Chargers um, didn't work for them either, but there were reasons for that. But anyway, so I was okay with I was okay with the decision. I didn't like the play call. And then what was the other one? Was the other one the the, the stuff of when uh, Taylor tried to go over no. the top? Yeah, that's when Taylor went airborne. And, and I thought yeah. this could be me. I thought he went airborne because he didn't have trust in anybody carving out any space for him in that yeah. short yardage situation. Ask yourself, when does he ever do that? Yeah. Never. He never does that because he knows Big Q is going to give him a lane generally. And he's, he was kind of running to that side, I think. Uh, Got to go back and look at it. But, no, I was – I was a little surprised to see him go over the top. And, I mean, he just – it was probably – or you could argue that it was ill-advised to do that, too. Yeah. But – and then it just wasn't like him to do it. And he, he usually can fall forward and get enough to get the first down. That combined with the little bit of push they get, it usually is enough. So, I agree. Maybe he wasn't fully trusting uh, his line to get that push. And, you know, yeah, who knows? I mean, to his – in his defense, they didn't really get much push. They did not. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And we're going to turn around and see you on Sunday an even larger game because it's within the AFC South and it's a home date with Tennessee coming up on Sunday. And we'll have a lot, I'm sure, to talk about that when it's said and done. I appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for stopping in. And uh, we'll uh, see you up at the press box again on Sunday. All right, my friend. Hey, fun fact, uh, Tennessee last in the NFL in rushing defense. Take it to the bank. Well, hey, a rebirth of the offensive line skill set <laughs> is what you're saying here. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Go ahead. Put those words in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. See you, brother. Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. He is a member of the morning team. He and Kevin Bowen weekday morning, 7 until 10 a.m. Jake Query joins us. Did you, did you hear Jim and Turkey Run going off on me right there? Man, I'll tell you what. You take that thing and shove it right up your ass, man. The Colts yesterday <laughs> took care of business. Yeah, that was not me, but, yeah, that was a Donnie Baker type call. <laughs> I wondered if that's who it was for a minute. That sounded very hey, Donnie Baker-esque. It's it's our it's always our fault when they lose, and it's always 
our like in our face when they win, which is cool. Yeah. Although I will say I predicted the Colts to win. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, but, I, did, I, mean, I, I did not. Say, man, but you're right. Yeah. I, I saw you. I, you know, I, we're up there in the press box on the sixth floor yesterday or the seventh floor or whatever it is watching the game. And at one point I looked over and you had and I was I don't know where you got the poster board, but you were making your fire right sign sitting right next to me. And I thought, well, that seems extreme. So, I mean, you know, I, I see how it is. I'm kidding, of course. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. And, and that's part of this gig. Part of this gig is, um, you know, when they lose, you haven't been hard enough or like somebody says, I use I use the name fanboy all the time. I've never said that until just now. I've never I said, man, that's somebody else. That's not me. I mean, you hear that from somebody else, and then you want to parrot that. But that's that's not me. I use numbnuttery and jackassery and blankettery and things like that, but I don't go with the fanboy aspect. That that's kind of what you get. If if they lose in Jacksonville, then, oh, my goodness, you know, you're not hard enough. And we told you, you guys, you know, oh, Ballard, Ballard's got you under his thumb and all this complete and utter bull crap that's directed to me sometimes, and that really pisses me off. Or you get the, hey, you guys are too hard on them when they win. It's either or, and it's just kind of the name of the game here. Well, I've never understood the whole, you know, soft media. It's the soft media's fault, soft media's fault. And then to your point, and then when they win, it's, yeah, well, why was the media so harsh on them? Well, which is it? Are we soft media or are we too hard on on them when they win? You know what I mean? Like, it's people just need to find some consistency. I don't mind critique, just be consistent, you know. But I'll tell you what, John, let me ask you this. And we talked about this this morning. Kevin and I talked about it. But, look, the way they played in Jacksonville was terrible. You know, they get shut out in Jacksonville. That's embarrassing. It's inexcusable. However, are we starting to learn that maybe Jacksonville was indeed a little – are they a little more competent than we think? I mean, Jacksonville was impressive yesterday. Now, that's not to say – I mean, you know, you should still be able to score against them. But is Jacksonville starting to turn the corner a little bit? And does that show why yesterday's win was even that much more important, right? Because, hey, the AFC South held serve yesterday. So that was a big one. Yeah, there's no doubt that Jacksonville at this point looks a lot better. And I think we could also, certainly with Doug Peterson coming in and, you know, getting that clown show out of there that was there a year ago as the head coach, uh, that, that does a lot for you. They also have a lot of of those pieces that you need in this era of the NFL to be good, to be better in this case, to build on that. But I will tell you this. um, It wasn't so much, Jake, with me about, you know, what Jacksonville did yesterday against the Chargers and how they are better than what people thought at the start of the season. To me, it was the way the Colts played in Jacksonville. Yeah, it didn't, totally. I mean, I'm just not. Yeah, it wasn't really anything to do with, with, with what Jacksonville did that was so great. It was how, and I thought Joe Wrights hit this on the Colts pregame huddle yesterday. He was looking for the Colts to compete, and there's a difference between playing hard and competing. I'm not suggesting they they don't play hard all the time, but competing is something they didn't do in in Jacksonville, and competing I I felt was something that they did. And that would have been win or lose. Had they lost that game, had Chris Jones not gotten flagged and they lose that game, I would still tell you sitting right here that they competed yesterday, which they did not do in Jacksonville. That, to me, is the major difference. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But here's the thing. Listen, yeah, and this is the thing typically with the NFL. You go one week to the next, right? And I know that's a cliche, but my point being, 
the Colts were probably not as bad as we were let, you know, as we became fearful of after two weeks. And they're probably not as great as like beating Kansas City on the regular. But they, you know, they certainly have the potential to be a very good team, and they have the talent. I mean, no doubt they have they have talent on that roster now. They did win yesterday, but it wasn't necessarily a pretty win, but it was a win. But it was not a win that completely was void of areas still of concern. I have some concern at times over Matt Ryan. And I know that when it came down to it, he made the plays they needed, and kudos to him for that. But there were still a lot of plays where I just thought he missed throws or he underthrew. Um, I, I think when he's under pressure, his inability to protect the football you know, could become problematic at some point for them. And they've got to protect him, to be fair. Um, so there, but, but then again, there are other areas that we parked on where they were improved. Clearly, their their you know defensive line played well yesterday. Their defense in general played really well yesterday. Won the game really. And then, you know, they finally found receivers aside from Michael Pittman. You know, I mean, maybe is Jelani Woods going to do that week in and week out? I don't know. But the the good news is they found another target for Matt Ryan in the red zone when they needed to do so. It's a Jay Query Morning Show co-host. He and Kevin and Query fire up weekday mornings at 7 a.m. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Buffalo Wild Wings in Bloomington with Bud Light on a blue Monday. We've got Jacksonville Jaguars, Colts tickets to give away, autograph stuff, and more for you right here. Bloomfield Road in Bloomington is our location today. Um, we were sitting up there, and the one thing that you do notice, right, and we both agreed upon this, and whether or not it has to do completely with the offensive line or whatever, Matt Ryan, for as good as, as he did get, and got them to that win with that final drive is he's missing a lot out there, isn't he? I I would totally agree. There was one play. I want to say it was late second or early third quarter where he rolled out and, and, and you know, he threw a pass that looked like one when somebody's just throwing the ball away and trying to avoid a sack coming from behind him. But that wasn't it. He just, I was like, what did he do? He just threw it in the ground basically. And you and I kind of looked at each other like, what just happened? And, you know, those plays, there were still some concerns for me with Ryan as to whether or not, I guess I still have kind of a Kerry Collins PTSD of when the Colts got him that year. And you thought, okay, maybe there was something here. And Kerry Collins went out and it was very obvious right away. He was done. Now, Matt Ryan's obviously not at that case, but or at that point. But there have been times where I've wondered if, Father Time doesn't occasionally rear his head, and Ryan just has, you know, loses the arm strength periodically. Or, you know, his, the big thing, and Kevin's talked about this a lot in the morning show, is, you know, Ryan's almost accelerated anticipation of the traffic coming when the pocket's about to collapse. And I think part of that probably is just because right now they're not protecting him, John. I mean, I don't know that we can accurately or fairly assess where Matt Ryan is at his age because of the fact that he's playing behind the highest paid but worst performing offensive line in the NFL right now. And, and that's they've got to get that taken care of or else before long, Matt Ryan ain't going to be out there much longer. Well, and, and again, Jake, this is not the combination that, that Matt Ryan nor the Colts in bringing him in expected. 
I mean, he expected to get a better offensive line, certainly the highest paid, one of the best in the NFL. You add that running game. That was all the expectation. And not at all did he think he was going to be running for his life, I don't think, the entirety of at least two and a half, if not close to three games so far. And all that does, it's one thing to be feeling good about a win, which I think everybody should and certainly the Colts should. But the underlying issues that will bring down this team where they don't live up to expectations are still firmly there as far as this offensive line. Because without this offensive line, if they don't improve on this game, this team has no chance. Totally agree. I I totally agree with that. Now, one thing that we did see yesterday and is that the Colts can win games over big opponents without Jonathan Taylor going for 180 yards. You know, I, I think there are a lot of people that think that, and, and Jonathan Taylor is a wonderful player, and he has a huge luxury. Don't get me wrong, but I think that teams that would see the run as a necessity as opposed to a luxury are the teams that are not getting deep into the playoffs, quite frankly. So it's complimentary. And yesterday, listen, Alec Pierce played well down the stretch. Big positive there. Jelani Woods obviously showed himself to be a red zone target. Big positive there. Michael Pittman continues to play well. That that we know that. And then on the defensive side of the ball, like I said, I mean, there were heroes all over the defense, but that's the one area. So, so they managed to, to cross off some things on their to-do list, but line continues to be one of them they've got to work on. So Jay Cray joins us. All right, let's look at this offensive line. Certainly Martin Lewinsky was better. Uh, Pinter, I would expect to get better. It's his first year as a starter or whatever, but Lewinsky at the point in his career was better. Uh, Pinter's the right guard starter. They had a a nice stopgap a fill-in in in Chris Reed that got a gig in Minnesota, certainly so that depth is no longer there. Um, When you look back at some of these offensive lines, have have we and they completely overrated them even in the past? I mean, going all the way back to Phillip Rivers. Because Phillip Rivers, you know, got the ball out so quickly. Most of the time that season, you didn't really get just how, you know, how good the offensive line of protection might be because the ball always came out so quick from Rivers. And then obviously it was a struggle that was mostly blamed on Wentz and his uh, quote unquote extending the play of a year ago. But do you think this whole thing has just been in large part overrated? Is that maybe? some of the byproduct we're dealing with right now as to why they're not living up to these expectations. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I I think also, excuse me, I think that I've always felt this way. Offensive lines are literally a great offensive line. Typically is one where the sum is more important than the parts and the parts have to be working collectively. And, you know, look, listen, they've got, you could have three guys that have played together a million times, but you try to insert one new face, and it's just that understanding and that camaraderie of knowing where everybody else on the line is at all times and working with the person alongside you. I do think that almost more than any other position in the area of sports, cohesiveness among a line is important. I've always said, and I've asked a million guys this, John, that, that have played offensive line in the NFL, would you rather have – a line of like, say, a couple of tens and then some fives in there that are used to playing with one another or a line of all eights that are not used to playing with each other. And they're like, give me the first one. Give me the, the mediocre guys that have that have camaraderie and understanding of each other all the time, cohesiveness. I think it's really important. And the Colts have – that's the problem with a left tackle, for example, when you're shuffling guys in and out or when you have a new guy this year from last year. 
I just think it, 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 you take a step back with it, and it takes a while. You know, they may still be a very good line by the end of the year, but the other aspect that comes into that is, in fact, when we've seen great line play here in Indianapolis, it has been with a quarterback, a couple of different variations that gets rid of the ball quickly. That's a huge, huge, huge part of it. And, and, and that's still – I thought it was interesting when I heard somebody saying that Matt Ryan is still learning Ryan Kelly in his offensive line. And I thought, well, to be fair, Carson Wentz went to, went to the same thing last year and didn't even go through camp. And yet I don't know that we had these, this number of problems early last year. But, look, work in progress in that regard. But, but they've got a, I mean, they've got a couple of games to get it figured out before we can say it is – you know, an epidemic over the course of the year as opposed to still learning on the fly. It's a Jake Query morning show. Kevin and Query, 7 until 10 a.m. weekday mornings here on The Fan. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Buffalo Wild Wings in Bloomington on a Bud Light Blue Monday. We'd love to see you out here on the west side off of Bloomfield Road in Bloomington at Buffalo Wild Wings. So when, when you look at, at this team right now defensively, that was more like yesterday what I expected. And I thought there was a combination, and I'm going to give credit where credit is due. I thought the defense also threw a wrench into a lot of the normal production that you see from Patrick Mahomes because he wasn't that great yesterday. You know, Travis Kelsey no, had no a drop question. in the end zone. I mean, and Mahomes missed some guys. But I'm going to give credit here. I thought the Colts' defense, as well as you could, kept him hemmed in. And then I think in the secondary – Stayed on their guy. You know what I mean? Didn't give up. Uh, stayed on their guy. There was some bend but don't break in the second half, but I thought that that was as, as really as good as you could ask for against Patrick Mahomes with that defense yesterday. You know, it was interesting to me this morning, John, when we had our conversation with Jeff Saturday. And I asked Jeff Saturday, I said, okay, give me the guy on this roster that, you as a former player or somebody who has been around the game or played the game would see as playing really well right now that Johnny fan would, you know, up in the stands wouldn't necessarily recognize how well they're playing. And he said, Stefan Gilmore, he's like what he does in terms of shoring things up that, that just kind of set the tones from the second for them to get some, you know, some pass rush, you know, really sets a tone for them and, and is kind of the benchmark guy for them that so far has been worth what, you know, what it costs to get him here. Now, the one thing I was curious about, and we talked about this as well, you know, Nick Cross not playing was a little curious to me because, you know, seemingly, and I think what it comes down to is they wanted somebody at the back there defensively that isn't going to bite on Mahomes because Mahomes can juke you a lot of different ways, right, John? Let's face it. I mean, he can... You know, you think he's going to tuck and run, and then he stops and he throws across his body. You've got to be aware of the possibility of pass at all times when you're playing Mahomes. And I think maybe they thought a younger player would bite more on that, and that's why he didn't get out there and get as many reps. Um, but listen, defensively yesterday, the defense won them the game. I mean, if you were to give a game ball, um, I think Kevin said, you know, on 107.5thefan.com that the game ball goes to the entire defense. And I thought collectively as a unit they played well, but their defensive backfield certainly was a big part of that. Hey, Jake, have you ever witnessed, and maybe we have because it just certainly was not a defining moment as when it came yesterday, you ever witness in that type of moment a flag being thrown on a player for abusive language? Because I just thought that like on every play in the NFL, you had abusive language going on. Am I wrong? 
Here, I would agree. Here's, here's what I, I think. I don't know this. This is merely conjecture on my behalf. But I seem to have this, like, brainstorm this morning of this recollection. This doesn't happen to me very often, but it did this morning. And I recalled the NFL a few years ago basically publicly stating that they were going to take a very, very hard line of discipline against the N-word. And not only in jargon, but just in use in general within the NFL. And that it would be assessed as a 15-yard penalty if used or overheard on the field. And knowing that Jones, number one, really didn't protest at all the flag. I mean, if it were me, and I just cost my game, my my team a game with a 15-yard penalty for saying something that is subjective as to how offensive it is, that would be one thing. But he didn't protest it at all. And that always tells me that somebody knows deep down that it is a violation that has been made very clear to them. And that's the only one I could think of. That's not to say that's what he said. I totally agree with them penalizing if that word is being used because it's obviously a deplorable word in all areas. They have a huge thing painted in the end zone for the month that says in racism. And, and I get it. That, that word has multiple meetings depending on cultures. But nonetheless, the league has made it very clear that they're not going to tolerate it. If that's the case, then I can understand why they threw the flag on it because they, they've been very clear that that's what they would do. That's the only thing I could think of that would make it that cut and dry and that clear as to what exactly the violation was. But either, no matter what it was, I always go back to it's kind of like when those two kids got kicked out of the, the Pacers game against LeBron James this past winter. And everybody's like, what did they say that LeBron James got to be checked? And I'm like, I don't know what they said, but what I noticed was they didn't protest it, nor did anybody around them, right? There was no question in anybody's mind that was in the vicinity of that incident that those two should have been ejected. And, and so I didn't see any protest by the Chiefs players or Jones himself after the game of that penalty, which leads me to believe whatever it was that he said, it must have been deemed justified by those that witnessed it. Well, and you bring that up, that was obviously – time and place with LeBron James. And then yesterday was also, I think you could describe that as time and place with the yep. referee standing right there in your grill. I mean, if that happens I mean, anywhere else in the field against the, you know, a back judge or whatever, you think that flag is thrown? Probably not. Yeah. I mean, it had to have been, it had to have been without question, right? I mean, it could not have been an interpretation or a misunderstanding. Right. It had to have been very clear what, what the violation was. No doubt. Jay Query, the morning show. I know you're going to bail here in about three minutes. Anything you want to add before uh, the Did Tennessee game coming up on Sunday? Did I hear What's your that? mom made a cameo? My mom is here, yeah. That is awesome, man. Yep, that she really is in is. the house. She's going to be 77 in a week and a half, I believe, coming up here. 77, Jake. Well, I hope you hook her up with some wings and whatever she wants. Take care of mom while she's at beat-ups. We're trying to right now. She just, uh, yeah, she kind of chilling, talking. Best friend Elise is here, too. Brad Wellman's in the house. Got Neil Hansen back in the day down in Owensburg from GC's in here, too. I mean, we're going to have, we may end up having a class reunion breakout here if we're not careful, Jake. (laughs) That's right. Well, you know, by the way, tomorrow we're going to get into on the morning show. Kevin had talked about this briefly this morning, but we want to get a little further into. Shaquille Leonard and his possible timeline and some interesting comments he had going into the game weekend and what it might mean for him in terms of his return to the Colts or if there might be some some tea leaves that need to be read. I think we're probably going to get into that a lot tomorrow with Kevin. 
Hey, man, here's somebody else you probably know. You remember the name? Obviously, you remember the name Archie D's, right? Of course. Yeah, his son Eric's in the house right oh, here. Yeah. Eric, Eric D's. I when I was there. Yeah. I, I can't remember. So, I, I think I met Eric, but Eric was definitely – he was boys a well, lot. Of his guys his was sister was a crap ton better at basketball than he was. <laughs> <laughs> at Bloomington South, if you remember. Hey, so, yeah. Let me tell you something, John. I went today. My, my friends from Australia that I met at the Pacer game a couple of years ago were in town. And uh, Marcus, who is the son, he's a diehard Pacer fan. He and his dad are in town. And I took them over today to Knightstown. Marcus only knows of Indiana because he became a Pacer fan watching him on the Internet. And so he and his dad have come to Indiana a couple of times for Pacer games. But I took him to Knightstown and Newcastle today, and he nice. was able to put up about 100 threes from both gyms today, oh. both the Knightstown gym and the Newcastle gym. Oh, man. Grew up in Australia. How cool is that? That's sweet right there, man. That is sweet. Awesome. You know, it's funny. Eric, Eric Dees is here. I was always incredibly jealous of Eric and Chris Brand back in the day. They were yeah, incredible athletes, Tennessee, right? good basketball players, got all the chicks. I got nothing. I got shut out. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yes, yeah. he did back in the day. Yeah, yeah that was a good group because I think that was that was uh, I think uh, I think Eric was with uh, that South team with Lawson. Of course, Jr. was yeah, you know obviously Lawson, still yeah. the coach, but uh, you know Lawson and that was a good group back then. Yeah, and who's the kid from um, uh, Cross, Derek Cross? Was that his name? He was Bloomington North though. That went to Miami. Oh, he's Bloomington Ohio. North. Yeah, he was a badass dude too, man. Yeah, he was Miami of Ohio. Was I think that's where yeah, that's where Derek played. Yeah, he was uh, he was uh, he was a badass, no doubt about that. So hey, all right, hey, tell your friends from Australia, Melbourne, Australia. I always thought it'd be great if you could spend the summer here and then the winter in Melbourne, Australia. And then you get nothing but red hot summers year round. That'd be this is, awesome. This is part of my game plan. Trust me. <laughs> Why do you end up showing these people around, John? Hey man, sell I'm that. I would. I Seinfeld with these people. Let me tell you, here's, here's a bit, a nugget of information that only you and I could understand, and you can pass it along to your Aussie friends. Today is the anniversary on this date back in 1986. Crocodile Dundee was released nationwide. Really? You remember how big of an Australian thing happened. I mean, everybody, everybody loved everything from Australia back everybody in the mid and have. late 80s. That's not a knife. This is a knife. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, tonight, tonight when I take my Australian friends out for dinner at Outback Steakhouse, we'll discuss it. Hey, by the way, one of the uh, an actress who I think went on and was the wife of Paul Hogan, Crocodile Dundee, uh, for a number of years, not any longer. I was uh, Linda Kozlowski always was a crank turner for me, brother. <laughs> I don't know about you. Like she was like vintage 80s right there. Linda Kozlowski, Jake. Crank Turner hey. back in the day. A crank Turner. And my, right, right, and my right here in front of, of my mom. The 80s, <laughs> in my hierarchy of Linda Crank Turner, she probably is not my top two, but that's cool. To each their own. Linda Carter probably is you know, higher up on the list. But that's all right. I thought you were going to go with Linda Gray or Linda Lovelace. I'm glad you went Linda Carter. Well done. <laughs> that's right. Family program, John. Mom's not far away. I uh, know, brother. All right, have fun with your Australian friends, man. We'll talk to you later on this week. All right, good day, mate. It's uh, Jay Query, the morning show. Kevin Query, weekday mornings right here on The Fan, 7 until 10 a.m. He and Kevin Bowen. Jake with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. 